calmly walked out of the meeting, and seconds later, hot tears spilled down my face. I'd just been in a meeting where I felt belittled, um, outnumbered, and powerless. This, uh, the people were the leaders of a church that I'd been seeking support from to go overseas. And after years, um, it seemed like there were still never-ending hurdles to clear. In this particular meeting, I'd been grilled for hours about my inability to submit, um, my marital status, and doubt was cast on my ability to hear God correctly. I remember calling a friend afterwards and crying down the phone, this isn't in the hands of God, this is in the hands of men. For months and months, I felt so overwhelmed, oscillating between anger, to self-doubt, to utter defeat. I don't know if you felt that kind of pain or helplessness before. Maybe workplace bullying is part of your story or discrimination. Maybe you found yourself the target of someone else's malice or you're unable to access the help that you need to get through. Maybe you're at the mercy of a system that doesn't seem to care. That's awful. That's really unfair. Whether it's your first time today at St. John's or your thousandth time here, um, hopefully you know that this is a place where you don't have to leave those heavy things at the door. The God we sing and pray to and whose holy book we read from invites us to bring all of ourselves to him, including these overwhelming obstacles that we face. So, what can we do when we are threatened by injustice? What recourse do we have as God's people? I'd love to pray for us before we dive into numbers. God of justice, help us to have the courage to bring all that we are to you and your word. Heal us, challenge us, confront us, Lord, this morning with your holiness and your grace, and we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, has anyone here recently read or dipped into the book of Numbers? Um, can I see any hands? <laughs> that's okay, that was good. That's totally normal. Um, <laughs> I have this long-standing theory that if numbers were signed up to a Netflix deal and a drama was made out of numbers, it would actually break all the records. Um, because numbers is actually, unlike its name, it's riveting. It's like one of those true crime series that have shot to the top of Netflix, only way more horrifying. The Hebrew name for this book is In the Wilderness, and this entire book is about a journey. The Israelites traveling from slavery in Egypt towards the Promised Land, as a nation through physical wilderness. But this journey, which was technically only supposed to take 11 days, ends up taking 40 years. Something's gone wrong. Um, you see, the Israelites are traveling through their own spiritual wilderness as they disobey time and time again, rebelling against their rescuer. And we watch on in horror as fire, snakes, 
claims, sinkholes, executions take out this messy and grumbling people. And ringing above all this is God's chilling pronouncement in Numbers 14. God says, in this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census, which is in chapter 1, hence the name Numbers, and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your, your home. So as readers or as viewers, if my Netflix vision came true, we are shocked at the carnage as this journey spirals out of control and the body count rises. The final stage of Numbers starts in Numbers 26 with a new census, only this time, not a single person from the chapter one census has made it, except for Caleb and Joshua. Uh, We've seen the entire first generation die in their wandering, and now, after 40 long years, we're standing with the new generation on the shores of the Jordan, looking over the water at the promised land, so close you can almost taste it, Will they make it? So friends, I'm really excited to share with you from Numbers 27, um, which Alex says is an obscure story in an obscure book, and that's totally true, um, because I'm really convinced that it's an important story for people to take notice of. Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through it together. um, And Andrew, thank you so much for kindly reading that for us. Uh, And then I'd love to draw out a few things that it teaches us And then what it means for us today, from the shores of the Jordan to the suburb of Glebe. So let's dive in. After the massive census of chapter 26, our very first story of this new generation is the daughters of Zelophehad. And they're not just a group entity. They're five individual women with unique names, as we see in verse 1. And you're probably going to have it memorized by the end of the sermon. Um, It's the five sisters uh, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Tirzah, and Milka. And it's not actually the first time we meet them. If we kind of scurry back to chapter 26, um, we see in the middle of the census, uh, there's a little aside in verse 33, um, which says in brackets, Zelophehad, son of Hepha, had no sons. He only had daughters whose names were... Mala, Noah, Hogla, Tiza, and Milka. And a few verses later, the Lord says to Moses, this land is to be allotted to the Israelites as an inheritance based on the number of names. And so we see a problem here, don't we? No sons means no names, which means no inheritance. And this predicament leaves the Zelophehad's daughters in the lurch. Um, They've got to be subject to the mercy of their clan without protection or provision. Uh, They are excluded from the inheritance because they are women, not men. And it's with this complaint that Mala, Noah, Hogla, Tirzah, and Milka go to the tent of meeting. Now, the tent of meeting has been a terrifying and holy place so far in Numbers. It's the literal center of their community where they meet with God, but it's also where Miriam has been afflicted on the spot with leprosy. People have wept here. People have died here. People have been burned alive here for their audacity to challenge God. 
And it's where the women arrive with their challenge. They've arrived to take the system to court. So at the entrance in front of Moses and all the leaders of Israel, the five women put forth the facts. Their father died with the previous generation and didn't leave any sons to pass his portion of the inheritance to. Okay, agreed. But then the women confront this way of doing things. They say in verse 4, why should our father's name disappear from his clan? Because he had no son, give us property among our father's relatives. These women see an injustice in the system and boldly appeal to a holy God. As onlookers who have journeyed through numbers, uh, we know that confronting God usually doesn't end well. And we don't realize we're holding our breath until Yahweh says in verse 7, what Zulophahad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and turn their father's inheritance over to them. God listens. He understands their heart of faith and their needs and he is quick to right this wrong. So he honours Mala, Noah, Hogla, Tirza and Milka by ruling in their favour and granting them a share of the inheritance, which is the whole goal and prize of this wilderness journey anyway. But not only that, rather than just leaving it there with these girls, in verses 8 to 11, this, these women's case becomes a legal precedent for any other daughters caught in the same situation. God legalises this exception cementing the right of all Israelite women in this situation to an inheritance. So the consequences of this episode ripple out to an entire nation. And there our story ends. Also, we think, um, if you have your Bibles in front of you, could you um, flick quickly with me to Numbers chapter 36, the last chapter of the book? particular story a bit more later, but this is the second episode of Zelophehad's Daughters, where again, a complaint is brought, though not by them this time. The Lord accepts it and makes a ruling, and a new precedent is set for the nation. And that is how the whole book of Numbers ends. On the eve of a promise fulfilled, Scripture, for some reason, sandwiches all the laws and accounts in the final chunk of Numbers between these two stories of Zelophehad's daughters. Why? Uh, in addition to showing us the character of this new generation and the importance of this land, Numbers 27 and 36 provide an answer to the injustice question I posed at the beginning. What do we do when we're threatened by injustice? I think it is that we can go to a just God. We can go to a just God when there is injustice. And I think these passages teach us three compelling reasons to appeal to a God like that. The first thing is, 
Um, God values his people over systems. The sisters are essentially bringing a challenge to God, a system that he has established, if not rectified, is going to perpetuate an inequality and bring about injustice. And that's really confronting. That's almost offensive. I think that if God were a pettier, more insecure God, he would smite these women for pointing out this potential flaw. But God listens. And in 27 verse 7, he agrees that they are right. There are a few Bible commentators who, when they write about this passage, they warn against banging on too much about gender equality and the patriarchy. Um, But when I checked, uh, all those commentators were men. (laughs) It is remarkable to me, as a woman, that my God values and honours the voice of women. Among so many gods who don't, our God, the true and living God, loves women. These women are not just met with, this is just the way things are done, or they're not dismissed as being uh, envious or greedy, but they're invited to the table and they are listened to. And when they speak righteously, They are affirmed by their God, not ignored. Did you know that? God loves women. God values all his people, including those who are often voiceless, and he cares about the injustice that happens to them. God is willing to amend his systems to reflect his justice rather than maintaining them and crushing his people. God values his people over systems. Secondly, God works his justice through faithful boldness. God works his justice through our faithful boldness. These five women hadn't even stepped foot in the land. They didn't even know what the air smelt like there. And yet they knew they wanted a part of it. They'd been hearing about it all their lives. And they're so sure of their entry into the inheritance, so sure that God will keep his promises, so confident that their God will not let their gender exclude them from blessing, that they risk their lives to boldly ask for it. And actually, this is the main difference between these daughters' requests and all those bloody, fire-filled rebellions that came before. This is a request made by faith in a just God. And through this request initiated by these women, God worked his justice, not just for them, but for every future woman who would find themselves in the same situation. God uses their boldness to instigate his wheels of justice and their faith to prove himself as a promise keeper and provider for his people. And thirdly, We can go to a just God because God works his justice through our humble obedience. God works his justice through humble obedience. What's really tricky about these stories is that numbers 27 and 36 actually need to be taken together. And what we find in numbers 36 isn't an exciting protest against the system, but actually 
a humble submission to God's commands. So in number 36, the leaders of the clan, they, they've spotted another potential flaw. Um, if these girls who now have a claim on the land, if they end up marrying someone from another tribe, their land is going to go with them. And so the tribe loses a part of their original inheritance. And so God again listens to the righteous appeal of his people. Um, and then he makes a new proviso to the proviso he made in chapter 27. And he says, Zelophehad's daughters can only marry within the Manassite clan. Uh, so that the inheritance doesn't mean departs from tribe to tribe. In fact, all women in the situation are only to marry within their ancestral clan. And in verse 10, in the most remarkable little verse, it simply says, So Zelophehad's daughters did as the Lord commanded Moses. Sometimes when injustice threatens our community, justice comes through the obedience and humility to limit our freedoms for the wider good. Zelophehad's daughters lost their freedom to marry anyone they wanted. They were commanded to marry within their clans so that the inheritance was not endangered, and they did. While boldness is good, God honours and brings his justice about through humble obedience as well. But what does the story of five ancient women have to do with you and me here in Glebe today with our unique injustices? We can go to a just God, but how? Um, there's a parable uh, that Jesus tells in Luke 18. It's the parable of the persistent widow, and I'm going to paraphrase it and potentially botch it. But basically, it's about a judge in a town who doesn't care about justice. But there's a widow there who keeps hounding him for it. And so he refuses her at first, but eventually he caves, and he sees that she gets justice so that she won't wear him out. And after this story, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Have you given up taking your injustices to God? Is your heart calloused with the fact that he might not care or he can't act? Uh, friends like Baz prayed, let today be an encouragement to talk boldly in prayer and petition about the injustices you are facing to God. You will be heard. You are loved and you are valued. Your kind father is also a just God who can and will bring about justice. And in Hebrews 4.16, it tells us that because of Jesus, our great high priest, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence or boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Will you boldly petition your God again? Will you lead others to do the same? Number two, we're tasked to obey humbly for the good 
of our community. It's really tempting to preach this sermon just from Numbers 27 and say, okay, what this means is you do you, be bold, be proud, you deserve this, Um, don't bend to anyone else. In fact, I think that's what much of society tells us, and that's an easy pill to swallow. Because we've all experienced limiting our freedoms for the good of other people in recent years, and it's hard. We like our personal freedoms. But this is a constant refrain in both the Old Testament and the New Testament as we seek to live not just as lone Christians, but as a community of believers where we are called to consider others better than ourselves. We're called to love each other. And sometimes justice for our community comes in the form of us humbly submitting to restrictions. What obedience of yours will help to bring justice to your community? Could God be calling you to set aside racial, gender, or economic privilege to spend yourself advocating for the voiceless? Could it be curbing your freedom uh, to control how you spend your time by filling a desperate need that the church has? Could it look like releasing your freedom to hold on to anger and forgiving a terrible wrong so that God is glorified and the church is healed? Philippians 2 shows us the image of humility in Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We are called to be bold and we are called to obey so that we can be conduits of God's justice to our community. And finally, while we petition for justice during our time here on earth, we fix our eyes on the true and eternal inheritance in Jesus Christ. Uh, Katrina read for us from 1 Peter chapter 1. We have a living hope in Jesus, who through his resurrection has won for us an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Eternal life with our God. And so this prize is in heaven, where there will be no more tears or pain, where perfect justice will be our constant state. Injustice will not exist. So while we grieve the trials that we face now. As God's people, we can live with a joyful, eternal focus, knowing that the day will come where we get to enter this promised inheritance. The future is sure, and it is full of justice. In what ways can this eternal focus comfort you today and elevate you from the pain and frustration of your current suffering? What seems like really boring inheritance case law is actually the hope of a new generation. Numbers end with Mala, Noah, Hogla, Tirzah, and Milka as models of faith, combining boldness with obedience. It just blows my mind still that God would choose five young women to teach this. 
And generations after the women came Jesus, the Son of God, who in the same breath could pray boldly, Father, take this cup from me, and humbly, yet not my will, but yours be done. As God's people, we know that justice is in his hands, and we can confidently go to him. My verse for the year has been Isaiah 30, verse 18, and it reads like this. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. May God, our just God, be our vision and fortress as we boldly and humbly face the injustices of this broken world, longing for the day when they will be no more. Amen.